so like I said, we're beginning a new series today called God, I Have a Question. It's going to take us over the next six weeks. So we're going to do the next six weeks. It'll lead us right into Lent. Um, and, and in this series, we're going to look at six questions that people both inside and outside the church are asking. And, and I want you to think about this question for just a minute. The question we're looking at today is, why is religion so full of hypocrisy? Have you ever been asked that question? Or have you ever faced that accusation if you're a follower of Jesus? Like, why are people who, of faith or Christians or, or it, really any faith, why are people so hypocritical? Why is there so much hypocrisy? And if you're surprised that somebody might say that there's hypocrisy in religion, can I just point out a couple of things? There, recently, uh, the folks that are out, many of the folks outside of the church blame the way things are presidentially on Christians because they see things that don't seem to line up. They don't seem to line up with the teachings of Jesus, and they say, how can you do that? How can you support this while at the same time the opposite of what Jesus teaches is happening? How can you do that? And so, so many people see that as hypocrisy. If we go even further than that, there, uh, a number of years ago, there was a, I mean, this has happened a lot of times. You could take your pick, you know, week by week. But there was a, a, a very, very well-known preacher in uh, Colorado who... Um, very pro-life, very pro-family, very pro-marriage, faithful marriage. This is what we're about. Uh, very like, you need to live on the straight and narrow. And it came out that he was having a homosexual affair uh, with a guy that he was buying drugs from. I mean, can you, can you see how people who do not follow Jesus have a leg to stand on when they say, there's so much hypocrisy. Why would I want anything to do with Jesus? Because his followers seem to not line up with what he teaches. Can you see this? And this is the question that we're asking today. Now, before we address the question, I think it would be helpful to define some terms, okay? Like, if you've ever read any sort of government document, the first thing that happens, or in, if you ever signed a, a mortgage lease or a lease or a mortgage, the first thing is definitions, right? Like, we're going to use some terms. Let's define them at the outset. The first one I want to talk about is the word hypocrite. What is a hypocrite? Now, hypocrite tra traces back to the Greek word meaning answerer or actor. It's a, it's, it's a term for someone who's on a stage pretending to be somebody, right? So you can imagine I put a mask on, I got, you know, face paint, whatever. I'm pretending to be somebody that I'm not. And in Essentially, uh, that, that frames what we would call hypocrisy. Webster says hypocrisy is a feigning to be what, is, what one is not, or to believe what one does not. Behavior that contradicts what one claims to believe or feel especially. Actually, especially the false assumption of an appearance of virtue or religion. It's pretending to be what you're not. Hypocrisy is living... Physically on the outside, what's not true for you inside? This is what hypocrisy is. What you think, feel, and believe are not truly how you act. I want to tell you a little bit of a story. In 2015, so we moved here in 2014. 2015, my son wanted to play soccer. He was four years old. And uh, so, as luck would have it, Central Blair Rec has uh, soccer for four-year-olds. 
and I think three-year-olds. I think we had some three-year-olds on the team. Um, so I don't know how, too many people who would say, my life's calling is to coach a four-year-old soccer team. I think that's true of every children's sport, at least thus far. I mean, we've, you know, a number of years in. The thing they can never find in youth events is coaches. And so I ended up, along with a couple of other parents, coaching a soccer team. So, and I found out I was coaching the soccer team the first night of soccer practice. So me, this woman I had just met, and another woman that I knew for a little while, took to trying to teach these kids how to play soccer. And I don't know if you've ever watched like three and four-year-olds try to play soccer. Have you ever done that? Like, or any sport ever. Like when you get kids that age trying to do something, you can imagine what happens, right? Like, have you ever tried to get a four-year-old to pay attention? So, I mean, we were like, all right, here's the first drill. We're going to just kick the ball into the goal. This is all we're going to do. That didn't go so well. We're going to try to get you to dribble the ball. Went worse. We want you to practice passing to each other. Even worse. I mean, the best we could hope for, the kids would try to kick the ball into the goal. It didn't really go well. And then you turn around and somebody's wrestling somebody else. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine? Somebody's over here picking dandelions. Somebody else is running off like this. I got to go potty. Like this was, this is my inauguration to coaching soccer. So the whole time, uh, it, it, it really wasn't pretty. And comically, I think they did this just to, I don't know, just to get me. Comically, the other coach who was at the other end of the field goes, hey, what do you guys think about scrimmaging at the end? I was like, what? <laughs> we can't even get our folks like, we can't even get them to pay attention. Like, what do you mean scrimmage? And you know how that works, right? Like, all kids go get the ball, right? Have you ever seen that? The little beehive that just follows the ball? <laughs> Kicking each other? Like, none of them even knows how to, like, kick just the ball. Like, you just, I mean, just kicking the heck out of each other. <laughs> and there was nothing about this at all, nothing, that looked like we were a soccer team. No, right? Like, nothing would suggest that we were a soccer team other than we had a soccer ball right? And we were on grass. Like, this is the only thing to suggest it. But as they left the field at the end of practice, one after another, they all said, I'm a soccer player. I'm a soccer player. They believed that they were soccer players, but they certainly didn't act like soccer players. Why do I tell you this story? I tell you the story, sort of it comically illustrate the point that every last one of us is a hypocrite at some level. Every last one of us doesn't completely fulfill something that we intend to fulfill. We don't live up to the standard we even set for ourselves. Now stay with me. Don't check out. Like if you're, if you're, you're here to hear me answer this question, don't think I'm trying to skirt around the question. We're going to dive deeper into it. But, but I do want to make this point. I think we have to start out with this reality. If you're at all trying to grow, develop, or improve, if you want to be anything other than what you are, you are a hypocrite. In fact, the only way to not be a hypocrite is to never strive to become anything better in life, to never try to live an interesting life. It's the only way to not be a hypocrite because at some level, you believe something to be true that you don't act like, right? Right? 
Have you ever, have you ever seen this? I mean, I'm a hypocrite myself because I really believe that Jesus offers a way to live life that is far beyond I could ever imagine, and yet I don't always live into that. I would imagine there are a bunch of you here who could say the same, that, that we know Jesus offers life, that we know that's our experience, and yet when, we, when push comes to shove, there are parts of our lives where it just doesn't line up. We're all hypocrites, right? Like even Paul, the apostle, expresses this. Romans 7, he says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Later in verse 24, he says, What a wretched man am I. That's a nice way to say. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Paul understands this. That at some level, every last one of us is a hypocrite. Every one of you who gave up on a New Year's resolution to lift weights and get in shape is a hypocrite. Why? Because you know that if you got in shape and lift the weights, you just get in, you get in good shape. It's better for life, but you don't live like that. Do you understand where I'm going with this? Everyone who's trying to learn a, a new skill is a hypocrite for a time. Before I could play guitar, so I learned to play guitar at the end of my time in high school. Before I could play guitar, like I got a hold of a guitar. I had had it for like six days. It was an acoustic guitar. My mom bought it from a nun. That's another story. <laughs> Before I could play, like I didn't even know what I was doing. I went into the music store. I bought this cool looking electric guitar and this effects pedal. I didn't even know what it did. Didn't matter. I was like, I'm going to learn to play this thing. I was a hypocrite, right? Like, I was like, look at me. I'm going to be a guitar player. And yet, I couldn't live into any of it. Do you see what I'm trying to say here? Are you tracking with me? The only way you can ever avoid being a hypocrite is to live an uninteresting life and never strive to become anything better than what you are. That's the only way. And here's the reality, those who spend their whole lives running around pointing out everyone else's hypocrisy are often blind to their own. It's a heart check, right? Like if you're somebody, like take stock of yourself. If you're somebody that goes around and finds out how everyone else is a hypocrite, everyone else doesn't live up to what often you're blind to your own hypocrisy. It's worth living or looking into. Whether we're Christians or not, every last one of us desperately needs someone to give us grace for our hypocrisy. Every one of us. Every one of us is living life hoping, hoping that somebody's just going to cut me a break because I can't quite live up. That's not just me. That's not just you. That's everyone deep down. They're just hoping that people will cut them a break for where they don't live up to the ideals that they have. I need it, and so do you. And so the really short answer to this question, although I'm not done, the really short answer to the question of why is there so much hypocrisy in religion is because there's so much hypocrisy everywhere. Everybody's a hypocrite. At some level, everybody's a hypocrite. And so why would it be any different? Most of the time, we don't really get all that upset about people's hypocrisy because we know that people make mistakes, Right? We understand that, that people are trying to be better people, right? Like, I didn't get, nobody got upset with the four-year-olds that couldn't play soccer. I mean, it was frustrating. Don't get me wrong. But nobody gets mad at a kid who's trying, right? 
And so the reason most of the time we don't get too upset with people about their hypocrisy is because we see they're trying, and they're just doing the best they can, right? We don't get terribly upset with people. It doesn't strike us as particularly offensive because they're genuinely trying to be something better. But before we write this talk off as me sidestepping the question, before you decide that's what I'm trying to do, I want to get at a deeper level what I think the actual issue is. The question really isn't why is there so much hypocrisy in religion. The question is, why is religious hypocrisy so upsetting? Why is it so upsetting whenever people who claim to follow Jesus act hypocritically? Why is that so upsetting? Because I do think there is something about religious hypocrisy that seems much deeper, right? Don't you think so? Like, there's something about having a leader fall, secretly fall, that makes you sort of question something deeper. It's not just, well, that guy just didn't have it all together that day, right? There's something about having a leader fall that makes you go, what's the deal here? It strikes you deeper. If you've ever been in that situation, we've been in a church where that has happened before. And it, it, it sort of grabs on to your, your guts at some level. It's just like there's something really overtly wrong. I think part of what makes religious hypocrisy so much weightier is the fact that, the, that usually religious belief is something that you are trying to get other people to believe. Right? Most religions want you to believe what they believe. And so there's something about people coming to you and saying, you should believe this thing that I'm not even living myself. That's just off-putting, isn't it? I mean, isn't that like a little bit disgusting? It's like, oh, it's good enough for me, but not good enough for you. How stupid do you think I am? Right? There's something about that. I think another thing that makes religious hypocrisy so bad is that often it takes a form that puts one person over another. Like we claim God on our side, right? So therefore you have to submit to me and it puts me above you. The religious hypocrite claims to have God on their side. The real problem is not hypocrisy, it's arrogant, prideful, imposing hypocrisy. This is the real problem that we're dealing with. It's a, it's a, it's a hypocrisy that doesn't take one's own bustedness into account, right? It's so offensive to people. It has run, I, I mean, in, in preparing for this, I was reading a whole bunch of stuff. If you just type religious hypocrite, in Google, in the Googles, um, you will come across so many stories. I read this tragic story about a guy who is now a secular humanist. Not because God had proved himself not faithful, not because Jesus had let him down, but because of the hypocrisy he saw in a church. He decided that's probably how Jesus is. So he's a secular humanist now. There's story after story after story of people who have decided that faith in Jesus is not worth it because of how they encounter us. It's sad and it's tragic. But you know what? Like, it's not something anybody really likes, right? Like, none, none of you is, if you're single, none of you is on Christian Mingle going, you know, the top of the list. I really, I like long walks on the beach. I like arrogant, prideful, imposing people. If I could get some of those, especially wrapped in a Christian package, put a bi- a, oh. 
That was close. That was close. That was close. I almost said something I would regret. Thank you. Thank you. Woo! I'm trying to do better about that. Good, 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 good. Don't ask. Just... <laughs> Nobody likes this though, right? No, nobody likes arrogant, prideful, imposing people, right? I mean, anybody in here, you just love arrogant, prideful, imposing people? Nobody likes that. You know who, who else doesn't like it? You know who really hates it? Jesus hates it. Jesus hates it. Matthew 23, we see Jesus confronting some people who were known to look very religious. Very religious. They were known to follow all the religious rules, but were completely unchanged inside. These people were called Pharisees. And here's what Jesus has to say in Matthew 23. He says, it says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, he's got all these people around listening to him, and he says this, he says, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you. He says, they're telling you the right things. What they're saying is not untrue. But he goes on, he says, But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their, good word, phylacteries. Why? I was like, it's not flowing nicely. <laughs> and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets. And the most important seats in the synagogues, they love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and be called rabbi by others. What he's saying is, the things the Pharisees teach, they're right. This is what God intends for life. But you can't trust them because they don't live it. It's not real in their lives. It says they bury people with obligations. You've known people like that, haven't you? If you don't, you're that person who bury other people with obligations. You've got to act this way. You've got to be this moral. You've got to do these things. But they won't help. Their whole religious belief is for show. It's all about trying to earn some level of respect, earn some level of something, right? We're trying to earn grace. We're trying to position ourselves in such a way that we deserve grace. I think many of us have experienced this. We've experienced people have told us how to live their lives, how to live your life and my life. And yet when you look at their lives, it doesn't line up. You've had this happen, right? And when you talk to them or confront them on it, they have cute little ways of dancing around why it's okay for me to lie this time. Cute little ways of dancing around why it's okay for me to live into sexual just brokenness. Because here's the thing, it's, it's whatever the excuse is. Here's this cute little way for me to dance around the teachings of Jesus. We've had that experience. We've seen people who preach sexual purity fall in secret affairs. We've seen people who preach about how God created and values all life turn around and devalue the life of immigrants. This is a problem for people who don't follow Jesus, let me just, if, you're, if you don't have friends who don't know Jesus, let me first ask you why. Secondly, let me just say, this is a problem. This is a huge barrier for why people don't want anything to do with the church and with Jesus. 
is because Jesus says we're supposed to love the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow, and what, what they see doesn't line up with what Jesus teaches. We lock kids in cages, and we say it's border security. But I'll just stop right there. We've seen people who preach about the value of importance of children get caught molesting them. And I'll stop right there with that one. And we could go on and on and on where we've seen prideful hypocrisy in the church. And for many of us, this stirs some sort of internal outrage, right? And it should. It seems like there's something in the fabric of creation that's torn when this stuff happens. And so for many of us, we just want to say, how dare you preach so aggressively against the very thing you yourself do? Something inside us feels violated by this religious hypocrisy. If you've ever felt this way, you're in good company. Jesus feels that way. Look down at verse 13. Jesus turns directly to the Pharisees, and he doesn't mince words. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Imagine if Jesus says that to you. Is it about religion? Is it about our churches? Is it about making our churches bigger? Or is this about something else? Skip down to verse 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup, and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. These are leaders of God's people that Jesus is talking to. These are not like Sinners and people who are outside of God's people. He's pointing the finger right at the people who are leading God's people. And he's saying, you are the problem. I think so often that's still true, right? Are we not still sort of the problem at times? Because here's the thing. It's much easier to pretend to live the life of the kingdom. It's much easier to pretend, right? I come in, I'm... Hands in the air, and I'm, man, I'm not, not, not just 10% in the basket, I'm 11. Look at me. I round up. Right? It's easy to pretend, right? We can say yes and amen, and I got to do the thing, and I dress up right. It's real easy to pretend. But whenever we're forced to live and grow at the pace of the kingdom, many of us don't look too pretty. It's one of the things that I love about our value of authenticity. I expect you to grow at the pace that God grows you and not pretend to be where you're not. That is my expectation in this church. 
that you would hear the voice of God, that you would take steps toward Him, but I expect that to be fairly messy. It's not pretty. And we can't pretend and put a nice little bow on it and make sure I wear a tie so that I look like I'm something that I'm not. Because not only is it not good for you, it's not good for other people either. This is the issue that folks have with religious hypocrisy. It's the issue Jesus has with it. He knows you're not as far along as you pretend. I mean, who do you think we're... I mean, honestly, who are we really kidding, right? Like, we come into worship, and the only person you're tricking is you and maybe a couple people around you when you're, like, pretending to be something you're not. Jesus still goes, what are you doing? That stuff doesn't fit you. It doesn't look good on you. The reason Jesus is so ticked off is because they're pretending to be godly people to gain status. And isn't that the truth? Isn't that what a lot of times we see? It's like, I need to be somebody. Turns out there's no shortcut to being somebody. Jesus is the only somebody we're after. Friends, this is something that Jesus is always upset about. Always. Throughout the Gospels, page after page, Jesus is constantly taking aim at religious people who pretend to be what they're not. All the time. Over and over and over. You know who he has grace for? Page after page. There's a story in Matthew 9. Jesus calls this guy Matthew who writes the book of Matthew. It's aptly named because he wrote it. Um, But he calls Matthew to be one of his disciples. Now Matthew has been this tax collector and essentially a tax collector in those days was a professional extortionist. So his job was to collect taxes from his people, the Jewish people, on behalf of the Roman government. And the only way you really make a living as a tax collector is you collect more taxes than you you need to pay out to Rome. And so you basically don't win any friends, but you can have a lot of money as, as a tax collector. And so he's been this tax collector, doesn't have any really friends, you know, no, nobody uh, of note. And Jesus goes up to him, wrong kind of guy anyway, but goes up to him and says, follow me. Matthew leaves the tax collection booth, follows Jesus. Now, there's no delusion that Matthew has that he's righteous. He's under no delusion that he is owed grace. In fact, odds are pretty good. The only friends he has are people doing kind of the same things. So after Jesus calls him, Matthew throws a dinner party. And he invites all of his friends, tax collectors, sinners, busted people. And he invites Jesus. And Jesus shows up to this party, and he's hanging out, and they're having a good time. I mean, he's, you know, Mountain Dew and pizza and, I mean, probably not, but maybe. But all these people are hanging out with, and, and pretty soon the, the Pharisees get wind of this, and what they see is that Jesus is hanging out with people that are not holy enough. So he asks the disciples, they're like, what, what is he doing hanging out with tax collectors and sinners? Well, you can imagine that they feel pretty wronged, right? Actually, they're the ones who live the life. Look at us. See how pretty we look. See how put together we look. We have earned the right to hang out with this teacher. Why would he pass up the the opportunity to hang out with us in order to hang out with these jacked up people? And Jesus hears about their irritation. And here's what he says. He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He says, and I, I love this line. 
But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Who does Jesus always have time and grace for? Broken people. Broken people who have no delusion that they are earning grace. People who are just hoping that somebody's going to cut them a break. Friend, if you've been hurt or pushed away from relationship with Jesus because of a negative encounter that you've had with an arrogant, prideful, imposing hypocrite, I'm sorry that that happened to you. I'm sorry that that happened to you. And let me just say that's not what Jesus intended. What I see so often is that people confuse morality with a relationship with Jesus. Say, if you just act this way, if you'll just do these particular things, that's what we're after. That's not the life Jesus invites you into. You can't make yourself better. The whole morality piece comes later. It's actually a byproduct. If you have relationship with Jesus and nearness to Jesus and you follow him on his invitation, what actually happens is you begin to live the life he intends. And you later on find yourself living a different way and caring about a different value system and caring about different people and conducting yourself a certain way because you're so passionately in love with Jesus. This is the invitation. I want you to consider a relationship with Jesus. Now there's many of us in this room that, that we're, we would say we've been following Jesus for a long time. But I would imagine there's many of us that we go, if I take an honest look at my life, I've been pretending for a really long time. I've been pretending. There's stuff that I'm just not honest about. There's stuff that about the way I live my life that I don't want anybody to know. There's busted stuff in my life. And when I show up around other Christians, I pretend. And can I just invite you, as your pastor, can I invite you to lay that down? To live a completely authentic life? Because guess what? The folks out there need to see you live an authentic life. It's one of the most powerful things you can do. Do you know what? Nobody has ever gotten really upset with my religious hypocrisy when I do something like this. I say, I believe that God has called me to be the kind of person who can show up in a room composed and contributing what God intends, to infuse what God intends, but I don't always show up that way. A lot of times I count myself out. A lot of times I judge everyone else. A lot of times I sit in a room and decide whether or not I belong before I ever speak a word. But it's something that God intends to change in my life, and I'm pursuing that. Do you know nobody has ever gone, you hypocrite, <laughs> when I say that? Nobody has ever gotten upset with me for not living up to the ideals when I say, I know I'm not there, and yet I'm following Jesus, and I believe he's going to turn me into that kind of person. It's humility. It's being humble enough to say, I know that I don't measure up. 